This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and Jay Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them. One from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi in Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams in Southern California. I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Bob? And I write uh, two blogs, Law Sites and Media Law and also the Law.com Legal Blog Watch. Well, today we're going to talk about uh, the people who cover the law and report on the law, from print journalists and bloggers to television and radio reporters. The law is constantly changing, and these people help keep us informed about it. Well, Bob, as you know, the law can be exciting at times. It can also be pretty boring. But from inside the Supreme Court and election coverage to criminal trials and white-collar crime, there's a pretty extensive range to cover. Uh, For lawyers and non-lawyers alike, the law is a central part of our day-to-day lives, and these people help take us inside the courtrooms, the legislatures, the voting booths, and, and trials going on around the country. Today we're going to hear from those who report on the law, a journalist, a producer, and hopefully a reporter. And we'll talk to our experts about their experiences reporting on the law, how they get the full and most accurate story, and uh, what obstacles and issues they face. Well, Bob, why don't you introduce our first guest? I will. Our first guest today is Aaron Mooney. Aaron is a producer of NPR's program, Justice Talking, a show about the law that is heard on 100 NPR stations around the country. Before that, she was a reporter with the Philadelphia Inquirer. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Today, we've also got David Frank, who's a senior news reporter from the Massachusetts Lawyers Weekly. David brings an intimate knowledge of the trial courts, where she honed as a career prosecutor prior to joining Lawyers Weekly. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you very much for having me. Well, David, how did you get switched from uh, practicing law to covering the law? Well, I, I certainly did not follow any textbook uh, way that they might have taught me in law school. I was a prosecutor in Massachusetts for about eight years. An opportunity presented itself for me to switch uh, sides, to so to speak, and I, I took a, a, a shot as a reporter at Mass Lawyers Weekly, and I've been covering the news here ever since. Aaron, I was uh, interested to read your biography because your your path into covering the law uh, took you through a garden and, and the kitchen, it looks like, uh, on the way into that. Uh, uh, tell us about how you got into working on legal issues. Doesn't everyone get their jobs by going through gardens and kitchens? <laughs> um, I was a reporter. I was listening to a lot of public radio at the time and made the jump from print journalism into public radio um, here in Philadelphia. And a new show was being developed looking at the law and looking how it affected uh, people in their daily lives. And so I've been with the show uh, for about six years. Well, just not to be too obtuse, you, were, you worked on radio programs titled The Chef's Table and You Bet Your Garden uh, at, with NPR before going on to this show. That's right, right. So uh, learning those radio skills and making the jump. Has it been a big switch for you, Aaron? What kinds of things do you find most interesting about the law? Well, I think the real challenge for us um, is making an hour of radio, as you know very well, making radio about the law interesting to general listeners. So, you know, today I'm looking at uh, the issue of presidential signing statements and how can we really make that interesting to people who may have never heard of this before. Uh, so it's a real task of bringing it 
down to a level where people can attach to it without making it uh, boring or obtuse. Well, it, it's interesting to me looking, having the two of you on this program, and, and, and uh, if Peter Lautman from the Wall Street Journal comes on, it'll, it will be uh, another dimension to this. But, but each of you uh, write for or, or broadcast for very different audiences, it strikes me. Uh, David, I wonder how you see uh, the audience that you're writing for and how that shapes the journalism that you're doing. Well, I mean, obviously I write for lawyers primarily. I mean, most people who are going to be reading Lawyers Weekly if, if they're not members of the bar themselves, they're people that have some uh, interest in, in what's happening, you know, in, in the court system, in the judicial system. But I, I view my role as, as, you know, being someone who not only is following something, but, but someone who has an opportunity to speak to the actors, speak to the, the people that are directly involved. So I think what I try to do is, uh, is, is advance the story to the point that, you know, we know X, Y, and Z may have, may have happened, but by talking to lawyers and, and Writing for Lawyers Weekly, I have a lot of opportunity to talk to judges. I try to, you know, sort of explain why something might have happened rather than just reporting on the, the, the fact itself. Aaron, where do you find your audience from NPR uh, in Justice Talking? Do you think you're directed more toward the bench and the bar or more toward a more general audience? Yeah, we think that our listeners are uh, not many of them are lawyers. Um, you know, some of them definitely are, but it's a more general listening audience. Uh, the NPR listening audience tends to be uh, older, male, um, and and people who are listening to our show probably have heard terms that we're talking about, but may not know the specifics. So we uh, get the best guests that we can to talk about how those issues are relevant to the listener. I, I so would it's a say little different. Just- I'm sorry to interrupt. Just to just to sort of add, one thing that I notice on a fairly regular basis is that I may write a story and uh, you know think that it's going to one particular audience, but it it never ceases to amaze me the, uh, the the people that I hear from and the reactions that I get from just members of the public or people who may have just come across the article who have something to say about it. Well, and and uh, the the issue, I mean. The, the Again, an interesting distinction is that the the program Justice Talking, uh, the, you give a pretty broad play to the to the term justice here. I mean, I, I was listening this morning via podcast version, MP3 version, to a program you did on wind power, um, and and you tie in some of the legal issues and policy issues that relate to the current debate about wind power. Right. Uh, with that particular issue, um, we take something that's you know, seemingly quite big, and help people understand it both from the legal perspective and the public policy angle. Um, you know, for folks on Cape Cod who uh, we went to uh, Chatham, Cape Cod, to do that show, and we did it in front of a live audience, um, people were really up in arms about this proposed wind farm. And so we looked at the laws and the policies and how it's playing out around the country. So it's a great example of how we can take a, a big issue, uh, give it a local angle, and help people uh, understand it from lots of different vantage points. There's been a study in West Virginia that says that uh, judges there believe that legal reporters get it wrong 50% of the time. Now, we're sure that that doesn't apply to justice talking or to <laughs> uh, Massachusetts Lawyers Weekly, but in your viewing other legal coverage, what's your take on that, that study? Well, I, I, can, I can answer it with two different hats. I can say as a prosecutor, having handled several cases that were covered by uh, both the mainstream press and the legal press, I, I would agree with the, the general proposition that reporters from all different angles do get it wrong. And I think that's sort of a natural 
um, result of, of only having certain access before a story is written. And obviously there are things that a reporter may want to know before they write a story, but deadlines being what they are and information being what it is, you, you just don't always have that information. So the general premise is accurate, unfortunately, that reporters do get things wrong. But the, the idea is that you, 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 you talk to sources, you talk to people who have intimate, direct knowledge with what's going on, and uh, you report the story as best you can. Yeah, and I have a, a different, uh, you know, I have a different take on it than David. I have the luxury of not having to report on it. I just have to find the guests who can talk most accurately about it. So, uh, you know, the onus is really on them to do the analysis and the reporting. Um, we just look for the folks who can help us understand those issues um, most most easily. Darren, do you find that you have lawyers on your program more often than not? We do have a lot of lawyers. I really um, make, I take a lot of effort to make sure that the people who are lawyers that we have on the show um, can speak about the issues in plain English. Uh, I think it's really easy to turn off uh, a program where constitutional language is being tossed about and um, and not explained. So I'll really make sure that someone can speak um, out of the court as easily, you know, as he or she can speak in the court. And I think that's I mean I think that's sort of the the million dollar idea there because as as much as lawyers and myself being one of them, as much as we like to think that we are clear and coherent and make sense, you know, when lawyers talk in legalese and talk in big words. It doesn't make sense, and people can't follow it. So I think whether you're writing to lawyers or members of the public or radio audiences, the, the, the name of the game is to make it clear and to, to speak in, in regular English. And sometimes I'll give it up, you know, I'll give a little bit of that up to get a, a tried-and-true legal name. You know, someone who has a lot of name recognition, uh, maybe I'll let that, uh, that style go, you know, so I'll, I'll allow a little bit of that. It's interesting because I, you know, I've been in, in journalism myself for many years, and, and, and when when I was uh, doing a lot more reporting, I used to not tell people that I was interviewing that I was a lawyer, because they would suddenly start talking to me in different terms if they knew I was a lawyer. You're and I right. didn't want I didn't want them doing that. I wanted them to talk to me as though I was an idiot, <laughs> so that I could put put the concepts into into easier to understand language. I certainly I try to play to my strengths, which is is acting like an idiot and. I agree. If when I tell people that I'm a lawyer, tell people that I was a prosecutor in Massachusetts, I find that I get um, a, a, a different type of answer. And, and I agree with you. You, you. you talk as if you don't know what the person is uh, speaking about, and I find that it, it tends to make a lot more sense. On our Justice Talking staff, uh, we have the executive producer who is a lawyer who's won a couple of cases in the Supreme Court. Um, so she's got a whole different take on it than the rest of us do. Our host and the producers are not lawyers. And, you know, she'll toss words out, and we have no idea what she's talking about, which is a nice check and balance. Do you think it's better to be a lawyer to do legal reporting or not to be a lawyer? Well, I think to, to have a beat um, as a legal reporter, I think you need to know the basics and a law background will indeed be necessary. I think for the kind of programming that we're doing, where it's a little broader and not as specific, uh, I think it's actually helpful. I, I mean, I, I'm obviously, I, I brought to Lawyers Weekly my, my background, and I can tell you that being a lawyer gives me some confidence in, in covering cases. When I'm listening inside a courtroom to lawyers litigating an issue in front of a judge, I do find that I am able to sort of get to the uh, to the issue. And I'm not saying that a non-lawyer reporter can't get there, but 
I certainly uh, don't shy away from the fact that I, you know, that I understand what they're talking about. Well, and I think it probably gives you more credibility with your sources and the people you're interviewing, you know, if you can at least, you know, offer that as your background as well. Sure. I mean, I just, I find that, you know, in circumstances where I'm speaking to a source who doesn't know that I'm a lawyer, you know, there may be a, a, a point in the interview where I feel that uh, the answers are, are evasive or, or not, not direct enough. And at that point, I may, you know, let them know that I have some understanding of the legal system and of the issues that I'm trying to get uh, to the bottom of. And I, I do find that, you know, at certain strategic moments, the, the fact that I am a lawyer and that the, the person I'm talking to knows that I'm a lawyer can, can certainly help. Well, there's the $64,000 question, David. When you interview people, do you cross-examine them or do you interview them? It depends. <laughs> I do find that, you know, unfortunately, as a, as a lawyer on cross-examination, the, uh, the, the name of the game is you're trying to commit witnesses to answers, and you're, you're asking a lot of questions that really call for only a yes or no response. And those of us in the uh, reporting business know that answers that are yes and no tend not to make great newspaper copies. So you've you got to balance it. But I certainly like the opportunity, at least at the beginning, to ask open-ended questions and to to really get a sense as to where the, the, the source is coming from. But there have been times, I'm, I'm sure you can imagine, where the, the interview seemed a lot more like a cross-examination than it did a, uh, an interview between a reporter and a source. Aaron, I wonder if you could ask, ask you, uh, in, in, the, in the media world these days, the, the big topic is, is convergence, uh, convergence of new media and old media. Uh, but I, I look at your uh, website, and it's clear that you've put some effort into uh, kind of uh, thinking about both the broadcast that you're doing and, and how that might uh, relate to some online version. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about how you use those different media uh, in, in producing programs. Yeah, NPR is really interested in building community on the web. You know, lots of other uh, journalistic ventures are as well. And we feel like people are coming, they're listening to our show, they're coming to our website to learn more about the issues that we're talking about. So if we can provide a, a way to give them some more information to communicate with each other, uh, it's a great way to help bring these issues from, you know, big, huge topics down to practical experiences. Um, so we're trying to work on that. And we've talked about doing blogs. And you know, there's, we've been very careful not to recreate something that's out there already. Um, and also to realize where our strengths are. Um, and our strengths are in making radio and, you know, giving people a place on the web. But blogging is just a whole other venture that, you know, it's a little astray from our, um, our goals. But your show is available as a as a podcast uh, through an RSS feed, and and uh, it can also uh, be listened to. Lawyers listening to this would want to know that you can also obtain CLE credit for listening to your program. It's true, <laughs> right? So you can just go on our website www.justicetalking.org dot org and uh, get CLE credits for listening to various programs, uh, everything from you know wind power, as you mentioned, to nuclear disarmament alleviating world poverty, lots of topics, and, um, you know, a great way to spend an hour. Let's take a look at some of those topics. You know, the Supreme Court's pretty much had a whirlwind of a year so far, and it's not over yet. Uh, David, what's your take on what's coming up? Well, it's, you know, I mean, following the Supreme Court is, uh, it, it's one of those, those endeavors that you just, you, you never know exactly where the court's going, but, I mean, I, I, 
I think that there's so many issues that are before the court that it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it, especially in this administration with, with, uh, with the legislature making all the changes that, it, that it's made, it, uh, it, it, it's going to be something worth watching, that's for sure. Aaron, how do you go about picking programs for Justice Talking? Is it uh, more popular stuff that's out there right now, or do you try to stick with some of the tried-and-true legal issues that are always abound? Well, it's a combination of both. We'll take a look at the docket on the Supreme Court uh, see what we can really do in terms of making a program. Uh, again, you know, will it hold for an hour? Will people be interested? Uh, the core portion of our program is a debate format where we have two people from different sides uh, talking about the issue from different vantage points. And so we really look at the issue and see whether it can hold a debate. Uh, we just did the case that recently came before the Supreme Court on a punitive damages case uh, with a tobacco lawsuit out of Oregon. And we felt like we could really get into that topic, look at it from different ways. So we'll take cases uh, that come before the court that we can add new and interesting angles to. Uh, and then other justice and public policy issues that come up um, that we feel like we can do well, we'll do those as well. Which, which I think, I mean, in terms of reporting on, on the law and reporting on what's going on in the courts, I mean, every case that's before the court, by definition, has a conflict and has two sides that, that are uh, putting forth opposing views. And when you get the right case where it's, it's not clear from, from the arguments, you know, which way the court's going to go, that to me is the, uh, you know, the, the best legal story that you can find because when you, when you legitimately hear lawyer one make an argument and then hear lawyer two make the, the opposing argument, and then it's on the judge to sort of sort through uh, the merits to both sides, that, you know, at its core is what uh, I think legal reporting is all about. Well, and when you can also bring a face to the case, you know, we see uh, the names of cases, we hear the, the issues that are thrown about, but when we can really humanize it and bring uh, people into the case and tell them exactly what happened and why this is before a court, we've, you know, that also makes it interesting. It does, and I think a lot of times what, what can get lost, particularly as you continue to cover case after case, are the, the underlying facts. I mean, the, the law is a the, the 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 cases that the judges are going to be citing and the the law that's already in place that the lawyers are relying upon you know is one part of it but the facts of the case you know whatever happened to a particular victim in a case or a uh, moving party in a case those are the the compelling facts that I think members of the audience can really relate to. Well, it's time for us to take a short break. When we return, we'll get some final thoughts from our guests, Aaron Mooney and David Frank. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. 
If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. We'd like to welcome back Aaron Mooney, producer of NPR's Justice Talking, and David Frank, senior news reporter from Massachusetts Lawyers Weekly in Boston. Uh, I just wondered, I, I, I wrote on my blog a couple weeks ago about a new legal reporting program that's been launched uh, at the uh, Newhouse uh, School at Syracuse University in New York. Uh, the idea behind the program is to help prepare journalists who are interested in, in covering law, becoming legal journalists. Um, it, what advice would would either of you have for journalists uh, uh, journalism students or even young lawyers who want to get into the field of journalism? Uh, well, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, that was my goal as a young person and as a, a college student. And when I first started reporting for a, a large metropolitan daily newspaper, I had never spent much time inside of courts. And so just knowing how the courts worked, how, uh, you know, who the various players were, what the roles were that they were to do, um, it took some some learning. And so just to familiarize yourself with uh, the workings of municipal government and the local court system could be incredibly useful if you plan to go into the field. My advice would be to go to law school, become a prosecutor for eight years, <laughs> and then uh, become a reporter. That's probably the, uh, the typical path to, uh, to the reporting <laughs> business, right? Now, I would say, I mean, just to, to echo what you just heard, I mean, I think knowing however you're going to go about getting to know the court and getting to know the way the system operates, you have to do it. There's absolutely no way that a person can cover the courts if they don't know what actually happens in a courtroom. And when right. you actually do get into a courtroom and you are asked to cover a story, I think before you even begin to think about what you're going to write or, or what the story is, take advantage of every piece of fact that is available to you. Because courts are open and because it's an open proceeding, go grab the file, read it, take a look at what's in there. You can learn a lot about a case just by showing up to a clerk's office, taking a look at what has already been filed in a case, and, and sitting down and having at least an idea of what the whole case is about. Because if you don't know you're really going to be doing a disservice to whoever it is that's going to be reading or listening to what you're reporting. I think that's a great tip, just getting those files and looking at them. I remember getting a call from a wire service saying, go cover this huge trial that 
uh, is happening. You know, you've got an hour to get there. I had no idea what was going on. I had read the papers but didn't have the background and, you know, spent the first part of sitting in that courtroom just sweating a lot, you know, worrying about um, what the backstory was. So uh, just getting a little, up, you know, getting that information beforehand is really useful. And don't be afraid to ask questions is the other thing. I mean, I was, it, if, you, if, a, if a person is, you know, wanting to get to know what the system's all about, Go in the courtroom, see who the lawyers are that are in there, and uh, you know, get the name and phone number, make a phone call. And Lawyers do like to chat, so if you make a phone call, uh, plenty of them are going to talk. There's been a pretty wide coverage around the Internet uh, by legal blogs in various niche markets or niche markets. Do you find that you use lawyers that write legal blogs or you call other lawyers for background information? I certainly do. I, mean, I, I, uh, I, I was covering a case down on Cape Cod, a, a murder trial that's received... Uh, a lot of attention, particularly on the Cape. And just by being down there, there was a, a reporter from a local newspaper who was blogging the, uh, the entire trial. And I, I found uh, his blogs and some of the, the comments that he and his colleagues uh, were making about the case to be very helpful on background and in terms of just getting a, a flavor of what's going on. So if, if the information's out there, the idea is that read it and take advantage of it. And from a radio uh, viewpoint, we often use bloggers to give us a distilled version of an important case or an important uh, subject that, you know, that they've been blogging about. Um, they've really become the experts in a way, um, so they're great sources for us. I wonder, I, I know a lot of lawyers who write blogs uh, certainly do so in order to try and uh, up their exposure level. Do you find that, that you're turning to them not just for information but, but to become guests on your program or as sources for your program? I don't, I don't get a lot of solicitation from bloggers. I usually seek them out. Um, and well, that's, that's what I mean. I mean, are you, are you going into Google to look for guests, in other words, and, and finding lawyers who blog come up, uh, you know, come up high in the search rankings and, and become obvious sources? Yeah, I mean, if we're looking, usually I have a I have a, a Rolodex of a handful of folks that I go to, and you know I've just had good experiences with them in the past, and so I use them. Um, I'll use bloggers for more of a backstory uh, as well. I think I'm I'm in in a similar light. I mean, if if I get on on the computer and, and do a Google search and come across a uh, a lawyer who happens to have a blog, and and that's the way that I got in touch with them, I'm certainly going to make the phone call or going to reach out to, uh, to make contact. Well, it's about time that we wrap up our program, but before we do, um, I'd like to ask one question to both of you. If there was one event in history that you could have covered, what would it have been? David, you first. <laughs> well, I was, I was, I was going to, I was going to be uh, graceful and allow you to go first. <laughs> well, I think, you know, there are so many historical times to be, you know, I just finished reading a book about World War One last night. I wish that I was there right now. Um, but I think that there are, you know, times in our, you know, daily lives going forward where, you know, we just went through a pretty momentous week, uh, you know, given our post-election results. So I think there are so many things happening every day. Well, I'm, I'm not forgetting out of that easily. Yeah, that's that's a tough question, but I'll go with uh, Sacco and Vanzetti, the the the, uh, the trial good. where uh, you know nobody uh, did anything as uh, as as two innocent men were uh, you know were convicted, and I, I had an opportunity to be down in the, the the southern part of Massachusetts where the case was tried not so long ago, and uh, I would have liked an opportunity to cover that case. Maybe I would have uh, covered it accurately. 
Well, Aaron, you mentioned uh, uh, your website, but maybe you could tell us again where people can find out more about you and your program. Sure. Our, um, we are both on the npr.org website and also on www.justicetalking.org. You can hear all of our uh, previous programs and weigh in on them and um, look at our future broadcasts. And David Frank, where can our listeners find more about you? Sure, you can, uh, you can, you can check out uh, everything and anything you ever want to know about Massachusetts Lawyers Weekly at uh, www.masslawyersweekly.com. And uh, it's, a, it's a great website, a lot of resources for lawyers, for non-lawyers, for people who are just interested in seeing what is going on in the legal community. And maybe even NPR Radio. Of course. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much for being our guest today. We certainly appreciate your comments. And, uh, Bob, as always, it's been a pleasure to chat with you. Good to talk to you, Craig. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.